0: I'm honored to preach at a great church like this. If you don't know it, this church has a great testimony. And uh, this great church is a great church because you're a great people. Church is not the building. Church is the people. From the pulpit to the pew, just an incredible group of people. People that love God and love others. This is awesome, coming on a Tuesday night and seeing everyone breaking bread and fellowshipping and just uh, people serving one another. And it's a wonderful thing. Great people because you serve a great God. Now, I'm glad you're in a great place today, but I want to challenge you to be in an even greater place tomorrow. The Christian life... Is a journey. It's not a point, but it's a line. It's not a work, but it's a walk. It's not a religion, but it's a growing relationship with God. James says, go, go to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow we shall go into such a city and buy and sell and, and continue there for a year and Get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. Wherefore, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. Let me say that again. If the Lord will, we shall do this or do that. What? what whatever the Lord will. But now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Essentially there, through James Writing God is challenging us to not be content to stay where we are or to live to only accomplish our temporal and fickle goals, but to be quick and eager to take whatever the next step is in our relationship with Him. And I hope, I hope you're here tonight not to present yourself before the Lord or because it's just the religious thing to do or the American thing to do or something like that, but I hope you're here tonight because you'd like to be closer to Him I trust this time will be motivational to that end. And so if you'll stand with me for the reading of the scriptures one more time, Luke chapter five, and we'll look at verses one through seven. The Bible says, and it came to pass, very, very common, commonly known story here in the scriptures, Luke five, verse one, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake in and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets out for a draft. Simon, Simon answering him said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ships, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And Lord, we're so thankful for this account and what it means to us as individuals. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts individually tonight. The next step for each of us is very different and unique Uh, Only your Holy Spirit knows that. Lord, I can't meet my own needs. I certainly cannot meet the needs of such a great group of people as this. But God, I know you can because you're a great God. So we commend the service into your hands in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. My pastor wrote of this text, It was well known, it was a well-known fact that in the Sea of Galilee, fishermen caught fish at night in the shallow water, at night in the shallow water, not in full daylight in deep water. Peter could obey Jesus and launch out, or he could follow his senses and decline. Peter didn't know it, but his choice in that moment would be the pivotal point for the rest of his life. Peter's decision and the resulting miracle reveal that a single act of obedience to Christ's command can change the course of an entire life. When Peter chose to place his faith in the powerful word of God, his life would never be the same. You and I likewise have the opportunity to experience the miraculous power of God. We serve the same Jesus who spoke to Peter 2,000 years ago. We have access to his written word and we have the promises of his faithfulness to back us. If you know me at all and I see some familiar faces and just as exciting as that, I've seen a lot of faces that are new to me and that's a wonderful thing in any church. But I'm the kind of guy that likes extreme sports, and I pride myself on doing sometimes some crazy things. And uh, I like to pool skate, and I, I can tell you stories right here in Newport Beach of some really dangerous, stupid things that I've done. And and, uh, and my kids are much the same way, and a lot of people think, well, that's how dad is, and that's how the kids are, but they don't think that's how my wife is. And she's just a little bit more discretionary about pictures I'm allowed to share on uh, social media and that sort of thing. But uh, my wife, about every two or three years, and I think she's just doing it now to get my goat, will bring up the idea of skydiving. How many of you have ever been skydiving? <laughs> I have no interest in skydiving. I have absolutely zero interest in skydiving. Well, when Julie was a teenager, my wife was a teenager, she went up to Tahoe with some of her friends. And the plan was to go bungee jumping. And so she went to this bridge. And she stepped out on this ledge. I don't know how far the drop was. If you were to ask her, I'm sure it's thousands of feet. And uh, they counted down. And at the count of three, she was supposed to jump. And they counted one, two. Three and nothing. She didn't leap. For some reason, she didn't go. Tonight, I wonder what is keeping you from leaping into God's richest blessings. In study and preparation for this message, I. Came across a news article of a, a girl, that a teen girl, that was pushed off a bridge by friends, sixty feet up, and she was thinking about jumping, and her friends were trying to get her to jump, and, and she just couldn't bring herself to do it. And kind of like Julie, she was right there at the edge, were counting down, and and one of her friends pushed her off, and she fell down and hit that water, and she hit that water with such force that she had broken bones, and the girl who pushed her ended up getting jail time. I hope you understand tonight that pushing is no good. It's dangerous and unfruitful. I have no desire to guilt you into anything. I I know that a church such as this is a church that preaches grace and doesn't desire for you to become more religious. God doesn't need your good works. He is just righteous enough with or without you. It's not a matter of getting pushed into something, but stepping forward by faith and trusting that God is good. And I see some encouraging motivators in this text. There are four helps that will motivate you to take your next step of faith. Number one, hunger. Hunger. It said that they had taken nothing. All the night they toiled and they had taken nothing. Now apathy, which is pictured by the shallows here, will leave us to our wants drowning in our comforts. Hunger, on the other hand, is a powerful motivator. A Christian ought to have hunger for the things of God. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As the heart penneth after the water brook, so penneth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Can, can you sense the hunger in, in the psalmist's words? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Christian ought to have hunger for the things of God, like a mountain lion that will come out of the forest and attempt to cross the 405 freeway. Or up where I live, a a bear that will come out of the Paiutes down into the Mojave Desert, scavenging for food. We're like a hungry Baptist when a sermon goes too long and they're ready for lunch. (laughs) That joke plays a lot better when we haven't been so well-fed. And thank you again, by the way, for a wonderful, wonderful dinner. Uh, But we ought to have a hunger like that for the things of God. It ought to be a daily concern and, and need in our soul. Do you have an appetite, a hunger to know God better? To experience His richest blessings? Proverbs 18, verse 1 says, Through desire, through hunger, a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Proverbs 13, verse 9, The desire accomplished, the, the hunger accomplished is sweet to the soul, but is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. What scares me the most about Christian apathy isn't so much the famine. I think all of us have been there in a place where, you know, our soul is hungry. There's there's just really a lack of a relationship with God, maybe in the way it it, it has been or the way it should be. I think we've all been there. And that's not a good thing, but that's not what scares me the most about Christian apathy. What scares me the most about Christian apathy is when there's apathy with no appetite. When there's apathy and no even desire to get that apathy taken care of. Trick question I ask in my church occasionally, and it used to work a lot better. I'm not going to pull this one on you. I'll just let you know what it was. So often I would ask, how many of you would like to be closer to God? And we'd do a raise of hands. And of course, most people would raise their hand. And then we go on to ask ourselves, what have we done to get closer? If we want to be closer to God, who's keeping us from it? Is God playing hide and seek? Is he hiding when we pray? Is he uh, keeping his uh, Bible from us? Is he holding back his grace from us? And we know none of those things are true. We're as close to God as we want to be. And all of us are at different stages, and God has a different plan for each and every one of us. But hey, listen, wherever you're at, there ought to be a hunger and appetite to get to the next step to get to the next place, to draw a little bit closer to God, man, develop an appetite for the things of God. I remember when I first got saved, I had spent so much of my life feeding my flesh, you know, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet, that I had to learn to develop an appetite for the things of God. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Man, I see that hunger will help us to take the next step, but then I see that humility will help us. The example is set by Jesus before it's even seen in Peter, and certainly we want to see how it applies to Peter. But when Jesus saw the need, he humbly acted. He got on a slimy, scaly boat with dirty fishermen to bless the wretched and the poor. He did not run to comfort, but he moved with compassion. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. Can you imagine this? The Creator Almighty robing himself in flesh, becoming a servant, being born in a a stable? What humility. What humility. And God says, I want you to have that mind. He took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men and being found in a fashion uh, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Peter followed suit. Peter humbled himself. A Christian without humility will never find the courage or compassion to leave his perch of comfort, convenience, and conceit to take a leap of faith. Samuel uh, Brengel, who was an early Salvation Army official, was once introduced as the great Dr. Brengel. He later wrote in his diary, If I appear great in their eyes, the Lord is most graciously helping me to see how absolutely nothing I am without Him, and helping me to keep little in my own eyes. He does use me, but I'm so concerned that He uses me and that it is not of me the work is done. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. Are you genuinely a humble vessel in the hand of God? Man, God can do such great things in our life if we'd simply, humbly allow him to. And James 4 and verse 8 says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And so we see hunger and humility will be helps to this, this leap of faith that we ought to take. But then honor, honor. I see honor in this account. Peter's natural response is human reasoning. And that's his natural response, because that's natural. That's our natural response. Unless you're an angel sent from heaven visiting the church tonight, you have a natural response. You have a flesh, and it responds in its own way. And Peter's natural response was human reasoning. His mind began to calculate, and his heart began to doubt. Preaching carpenter or the fisherman? Who knows more about fishing? Night, when you're supposed to catch fish, or day. Shallows, where all the fish usually are, or the deep, where they're usually not caught. And yet he says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. At thy word, I will let down the net. Listen, we will never leap when we honor our own wisdom over God's word. And I'm telling you right now, for everything that God would tell us and command us to do in his word... We could come up with a reason why we shouldn't have to do it, if you don't want to do it. If you're looking for an excuse not to be faithful to God, I promise you, you will find it. I think of the leap of the four friends in Mark chapter 2, in fact the same account is found. Uh, It's the very next account found in Luke chapter 5, but I have the scriptures here from Mark 2 and verse 1 through 12, and it says, and he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them. And so Jesus is going on humbly and compassionately serving others. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them, and they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. There's four carrying this one to Jesus, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was and when they had broken it up they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith he said unto the sick of the palsy son thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. "Why Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned Within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it be easy to say of the sick of the palsy thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the sick of the palsy, "I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thy house." And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. And so much that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, "We never saw it on this fashion." As we think about this account, we could either be the friends, or we could be the Pharisees. We could be those that want to honor God and trust him, or as the Pharisees were, we could reason in our hearts why we shouldn't do what God would have us to do. Will you live by faith in his commands or by fear with your calculator? Romans 4 and verse 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that to which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, have they made thee a father of many nations. Talking about the children of faith. That's us. Those who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. I love this. that which is dead he makes alive, and calleth those things which be not, as though they were, who against hope believed in hope. Then he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed unto Abraham for righteousness. Your honor of God and his word will be a motivator that allows you to take leaps into God's richest blessings. Hebrews 11:6 But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so, honor is a great help. And then, finally, tonight, heating is a great help. Heating. Now, that means to hear and to obey. And I want you to understand this evening that this is the easiest and hardest part. I suppose on this campus, at one point or another, probably in a children's department or even maybe a higher-up nursery, the children are singing, trust and obey. Trust and obey. And it's the easiest. And it's the hardest. It's the simplest. It's the most difficult. It's the most critical decisive and needful part of your walk. Look at no go, no grow. No fishing, no fish. No launch, no lunch. We will never know God's richest blessings until we go, until we take that step, until we leap, Proverbs 21, verse 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. I genuinely believe if I were to ask the question, who wants to be closer to the Lord as we hear this message and in this moment, and that's why church is so important, Bible reading is so important, our devotional time, and all these things are so important because we get our minds right and we raise our hands to a question like that, even though it's a trick question, because in this moment we're like, yes, I want to know God more. And it's our desire, but if it's the desire of the slothful who is unwilling to do what God is calling him to do, it killeth him. And by the way, don't ever let it drive you to guilt. Worldly sorrow leadeth to destruction. God has no desire for you to be guilty or condemned. In fact, he loved you so much, he came to this earth to take that condemnation for you. But you ought to be convicted. You know, before you go to bed is a great time to pray and confess your sin. But you know, when you first wake up in the morning, even though you've done nothing for six, seven, eight hours, is a great time to confess that you're still a sinner. I always think, man, what if David had confessed his sin a fourth time? What if Psalm 51 had been written before Bathsheba? How much different would things be? We ought to be convicted. We ought to be challenged. We ought to be provoked. We ought to be desirous and hungry to leap. But listen, if we're not willing to do what God's calling us to do, it kills us for our hands refuse to labor just a few months back with a school field trip with my kids, we were all caravanning down to uh, the aquarium, of uh, the Long Beach Aquarium, and uh, one after another, the cars in front of me, they had just finished the, that Grand Prix they do down there, and one after another, the cars in front of me were following Google Maps or whatever map system they're using, and my phone was telling me the same thing, to, to make a left, and they're all making a left, but I looked up right before I made that left, and there was a big sign regarding the Grand Prix, and it said to make a right. That's what the word said, and I decided to follow the sign. Got to the parking structure. Everyone else had gone left, got into the parking structure, first car there, got the best parking. In fact, long story short, we got free parking because of the time we got there, the timing with the Grand Prix and everything else, and others had to pay. And we got to the front of the aquarium and waited 20 minutes before the other people first started showing up. The sign gave me an unexpected turn. Sometimes we get into the motion of just kind of following the same old steps and God may be putting a sign up. He may be giving you his word and telling you to make an unexpected turn. Where is God calling you to turn? What is God calling you to do? What is God telling you to do? James 1 verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into that perfect law of liberty, and continueth there, and being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I used to work right up over there by the block, the, the, the health buildings over there. I worked at a, a financial office over there and we worked on the bottom floor and my spot was right next to this window and these windows were those, those one-way windows where it was totally reflective on the outside but I could see perfectly through on the inside. And every day, every day, this, the, the two buildings there, you know, eight-story, nine-story buildings, multiple people coming back from lunch. And they'd walk right along that, that glass, and they'd stop oftentimes right in front of me. And I was literally two feet from them without them knowing. I mean, they were right there. And they'd stop, and they'd look in the glass. <laughs> a little bit of spinach in there. A little bit of mustard. And as obnoxious as that was, you know it would be really weird if someone looked, and their teeth were all filled with spinach, and they're like, okay. And they just went on. That'd be really weird. And as much as it was really awkward to have people doing that right there, it made sense what they were doing. Although I have to assume there was a public restroom they could have used instead. At least they stopped and took care of the problem. They saw an issue and they fixed it. They saw there was something they shouldn't do and stopped doing it or something they should do and started doing it. We got to be able to look at God's word and hear the preaching. And you guys have a wonderful preacher. You get to hear wonderful preaching Sunday after Sunday. And and the word of God is preached and, and God is speaking to your hearts. I know he is. And to hear that and say, okay. And to deceive ourselves. to go on without going on. What is your next step into God's richest blessings? I I honestly, genuinely believe that as I asked that question, you knew the answer before you walked in here. And it may be that as you're sitting in here now, God's speaking to your heart about something. But I honestly, genuinely, genuinely believe if you're any kind of Christian like I am, there's all sorts of things that God's been working on your heart about, and it's just a matter of softening your heart. It's just a matter of a heating and that humility that we've talked about, honoring God's word and just trusting above our own reasoning. So what is it for you? It's time to leap. I don't know what the expiration was on Jesus' offer to Peter, but I don't think those fish were going to wait forever. What great blessings he experienced, what great blessings you can experience if you 'd be faithful i didn 't plan on sharing this testimony. I alluded to it at the beginning of the service, but there was a time that I was a member of this church, but I was not faithful to this church i 'm so thankful for a church family that prayed for a out of control teenager, and I remember my my dad would challenged me, encouraged me, and I was in my young 20s at this point, encouraged me to come to church every time he saw me. And I was ah, no thanks, Dad. And one Friday night, there was a building offering. There was a building banquet for a building offering. And my dad and Friday nights, when I was 20, I mean, Friday night, that, was, that was my time. And my dad said, hey, I'm going to a, a building banquet. You want to go to a building banquet with me? I said, okay. He said, really? I said, yeah. I don't know why. And I came, and Dr. Gibbs preached, and the Holy Spirit said, here's what I want you to do for the building offering. I thought, what? I don't even go to church. And I don't understand why you're speaking to my heart, but but I'm going to obey. AND I THOUGHT I WAS GIVING SOMETHING SO SUBSTANTIAL TO HIM THAT EVENING. SUNDAY MORNING CAME ALONG AND WHERE YOUR TREASURE IS THERE WILL YOUR HEART BE ALSO, I GOT DRESSED FOR CHURCH. AND PASTOR CAUGHT ME. I TRIED TO SLIP OUT AS FAST AS I COULD. PASTOR TOMLINSON CAUGHT ME BACK THEN. HE SAID, I WANT YOU TO WORK WITH THE FOURTH GRADE BOYS. AND I SAID, PASTOR T, YOU DON'T WANT ME WORKING WITH THE FOURTH GRADE BOYS. So I want you to work with fourth, fourth grade boys, and I thought, well, if I'm going to work with fourth grade boys next Sunday, I better be at church tonight, and I better be at church on Wednesday, I better be at soul winning, and, and I know the direction my life was headed. Julie and I were both going to college. I wanted to teach math, and she was, she had the, the acceptance letter to Cal Poly. She wanted to be a, a marine. <laughs> Uh, a marine biologist, and we wanted to live in Hawaii and work part-time and surf the rest of the time. And I remember one Sunday morning being here and, and Pastor T preaching the most straightforward gospel message. I mean, there was nothing else to it about it. And we walked out, those doors right back there, and my girlfriend at the time looked at me with an acceptance letter to Cal Poly with all our plans set for our life. And so I think God just called me to Bible college which I had surrendered to seven years before. And when I look at my life now and where we're at and all that God is in, and I forget the earthly blessings, and I'm blessed beyond, if you live here in America, you're blessed beyond measure. any <laughs> sort of earthly sense of, but that's not the kind of blessings I'm talking about. When I look back there and see half my children sitting with us and my son up there trying to learn some tech stuff and some kids in there, I see my wife, and all that God has given, the richest blessings if you'll be obedient. I didn't give God anything that night. God gave me everything that night because I obeyed Him. And it wasn't me that was righteous. It was Him that was righteous. Now I'm just telling you, God has some rich blessings for you. And He has some rich blessings for me. Yeah, I'm not done. You don't get to just do, oh, I took my one step and I'm done. It's not a treadmill, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. And there ought to be some consistency, but there ought to be some growth. There ought to be some measurable growth. That offer to Peter wasn't going to wait forever. And what it is that God's calling you maybe to sacrifice in your mind, but really this is how grace works, what he's trying to give you. That offer won't wait forever. So go to now. Now. Ye that say, today or tomorrow shall go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. By definition, there are six things a leap of faith won't be. It won't be calculable. It won't be cheap. It won't be convenient. It won't be comfortable. It won't be conceited. And it won't be conformed. I want to encourage you to take a real step. God's richest blessings await you today. What's keeping you from them? The account finishes in Luke 5, where you're at in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him when you trust him and he works, you'll get into a cycle of faith, and you'll want to trust him again. And you'll want to trust him again, and again, and again. When Julie was 12 years old, she went to Tahoe with some friends. She stood at the edge of a bridge, and they counted one, two, three, and nothing. And they said, let's try that again. So they counted again. One, two, three. She took that step. And now, no matter what I can brag about in my home, about what I did, Julie can always say, I've bungee jumped and you haven't. (laughs) Want to go skydiving? No. So what step is God asking you to take? It might be in your personal walk. Maybe God's been working in your heart about contentment or patience. Maybe he's been talking about shaking up your devos. Maybe your Bible reading has gotten routine. Maybe he's trying to revive your prayer life. Maybe there's a besetting sin that needs to be genuinely addressed. Maybe he's been talking to you about witnessing to a coworker, a neighbor, maybe in your home, he's been encouraging you to, maybe you need to apologize to someone in your home. Parents, it may be that you need to apologize to your children and children. It may be that you need to apologize to your parents, or it may be an issue within the marriage. And maybe it's forgiveness that God's been talking to you about. Maybe, maybe there hasn't been any uh, outward talk about it, but you know, in your heart, there's bitterness. What a poison. And it may be uh, home devos that God is encouraging you to start up. And it may be uh, dating or some sort of marriage investment, reading a book or being faithful to the couples retreat. It may be here at church just serving or giving or uh, being a blessing to other saints or praying for the rest of the church family as you ought to. I don't know what it might be, but let's not leave while we're motivated. Because you live in 2022, Orange County, California. You're going to step out to that parking lot, to that car, and there's going to be a million things to distract you. A million things. Let's not leave while we're motivated. Let's leap. Why not take that step tonight? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty.